Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are of your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Hope we have had a glorious week. Yes? Last week I I challenged us to think about uh, all of life, uh, every day and in every way, being an act of worship in response to God's glory. And in that sense, I wanted us to recast how we think about uh, our every day, every week, and even glory, which we often just associate with kind of greatness. And we acknowledge that sometimes our weeks aren't great. And yet, all the more, they're glorious as they're lived out for Jesus. And uh, look, this, this week we begin... Uh, let me see if that... There we go. Excellent. Um, this week we begin kind of uh, delving into what it means for our church in response to God's glory to be an ever-growing, diverse church family. Uh, this week I'm going to take on particularly what it means for our church to be ever-growing because... Growth is glorious, isn't it? (laughs) Maybe. Uh, The whole mantra of growth being glorious is something that's a little bit too close to the God of capitalism and consumerism. So let me just kind of unpack that a little bit as we try and actually get to the kind of the the nub of what it means for, for growth in the church to be glorious, and even what that kind of growth means. Now, we hear about growth everywhere. You may have come out of meetings this week where you know, managers were banging on about growth, growth in the economy, growth in company sales, growth in margins, growth in professional life, car sales in China, growth in number of unread articles in your to-read list. Oh my goodness, it's exhausting, isn't it? 
We're always on the run to grow our lives, to earn money so we can buy more things, which will cost us more money to maintain. You know, that, that actual, that cycle of growth, that kind of spending more to, to grow more, to then spend more, is actually so widely observed it's been given a name. It's called the Diderot effect, named after Denis Diderot, a French philosopher, not, not in kind of modern times, but in the 18th century. Even then, kind of our heart was so on display in kind of the ways of the world. Uh, it's, it goes simply like this, you know, you look at, you know, any given item in your life and you ask the question, does it fit in no is the answer. Of course, it doesn't fit. You could do better things. We could grow. Uh, and so we, you know, we can get a new item. We purchase something, you know, something we've attached our heart to. And for a little bit, we're like, yay. And then we like, look at everything else in comparison. We're like, actually, now I need to spend more money on that to lift it up to this. And oh my goodness, the cycle goes around. Uh, now, some of you are laughing a little bit, a little bit nervously, perhaps, because we're all subject to this cycle. It's exhausting and it's unsatisfying. And for a moment, for a moment in this cycle, we actually taste a little bit of glory, just a little bit. That's, that's kind of, that's you, woo, for that little moment of glory. Uh, but should we actually grow to reach our goals, what then? I've been reading this uh, book by Arthur Brooks. He's a social scientist and a man of faith. He uh, works for the Harvard Business School, and he spent a great deal of his academic energy exploring life on the other side of success. What a fun conversation. After peaking, for those that have made it, for those that have kind of tasted glory, he sees what is nearly a universal experience that he calls prestige agony. That idea of sort of tasting prestige or glory, having grown to the peaks of their career and to sort of like decline from there. So in his subtitle here is Finding Success, Happiness and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. Oh my goodness. This is the kind of books I read now, right? Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, what I found fascinating is in this book, he read, uh, he interviewed a very successful Wall Street banker, a woman in her 50s. Uh, she had skyrocketed up the corporate ladder, having invested much of her energy. Uh, she was a very gifted woman. Uh, but her marriage was very average. She had very strained relationships with her college-aged kids, and she drank too much, and she knew it. And so as she's talking to Arthur Brooks, uh, Arthur just actually pauses and says, can I ask you a question? He says, what, given these things are making you unhappy, why don't you tend to the things that are making you unhappy and actually invest in your marriage and reconnect with your kids and maybe stop drinking so much? Do you know what she said? She said, I'd rather be special than happy. Our obsession with growth has at its root an addiction to glory that is ultimately not glorious at all. Now, some of you here today are wrestling with this in very real ways, struggling against the tide that we swim in. Some of you don't have this struggle at all. I was sharing this story with one person this week, and they said, I don't get that at all. <laughs> so we all have different experiences in this, but what we do need is we all need to find the glory in which we were made for, and I've been laboring that it's God's glory. And I want to show you that ever-growing, what that looks like in the light of God's glory, and why we've written it in our vision statement. And it begins with how Paul understands himself, and it's a glorious verse to live by. 
Chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of His power. Now, this verse doesn't mention either glory or growth, but work with me here for a little bit, because I'll unpack it. Firstly, Paul says, I was made a servant. Now, that does not sound very aspirational. You're not going to read that statement in kind of like the top 10 of kind of, you know, self-leadership and, you know, self-help books. I was made a servant, Paul says. Now, last week, we looked at how the word serving is attached to a bigger word. Do you remember what it was? Starts with W. Worship. Thanks, Cole. You're on staff. You're paid to say that. Um, uh, we saw how, how as we look to the glory of God, we respond to Him in worship because He alone is worthy of glory. And as we worship Him, that looks like a range of things, including service. And so Paul sees himself as a servant, giving himself up, living a life of sacrifice to the glory of God, being drawn into His purposes. And he's made a servant to this gospel he says. Now, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, we read that amazing kind of description of how we were dead in our sins. And when you're dead in your sins, what kind of energies, what kind of gifts can you bring to the table to undead yourself? Nothing. We are made alive in Christ because of God's mercy. And that is the good news of the gospel, that this glorious God has made His glory known not only in creation, but in His love for you, in raising you from death to life, in the love of Christ. Paul knows that this is a gift of God's grace. It is nothing that we can do. And this gift totally reshapes the way Paul thinks about his own identity, his life, his purposes. This grace was given to him as a gift of God's power. There is real power in the gospel. This is all from and through and to God, as we saw last week in Romans 11. There's no room left for us to boast. We simply lay down our life before the God who served and loved us first. Because it's all about God's glory, which he has revealed in his power to save. Now, I want you to see here a massive difference between this way of seeing yourself and all of life and, and the version of the world that says, if you're good enough, if you're gifted enough, you're able to make a contribution to the world, you're able to grow, you're able to pursue glory, but you never will, and the world is, just doesn't seem able to see it, even though they make it into memes around the Diderot cycle and whatnot, right? What we have before us is the truly glorious life lived in light of the glory of God. And so when we say we long to be an ever-growing church, we don't mean that you have to be special enough, gifted enough, and just pour yourself in the hope that you might succeed in the church. No. What we mean is this. We long to be a church to see a world that knows Jesus. That's the kind of growth we're talking about. And we want to know Jesus more and the power of His glory. 
Do you see the shift, the difference in shift? It's not even about us anymore. It's about a world knowing Jesus and it's about knowing Jesus more and the power of his glory. And as Paul un- sort of unpacks that, that sort of that, that mantra of his, we see these two things unfold in the rest of chapter 3. And so we're going to look at Ephesians 3, the first part, where Paul talks about how the grace was given to him to proclaim to the Gentiles that the world would come to know Jesus. And then we're going to look at his epic prayer as he longs to know Jesus more in the power of his glory. Those two things map onto uh, what we call mission and maturity. So remember in our, um, uh, in our vision booklet here, uh, we've, sort of, we've described how we organise ourselves as a church, not just kind of with pastors overseeing congregations, but with pastors overseeing you know, key aspects of the life of our church. Uh, one of those is mission, uh, seeking to share Jesus with our community, and the other is maturity, helping people grow into Christ and reflect Him more. And so let us begin uh, to explore these two key aspects of what it means to be an ever-growing church in the light of God's glory. Now, this, um, this phrase, a world that knows Jesus, I've ripped totally off. Anyone know? Yeah, CMS, there's a little kind of CMS logo at the bottom there. So uh, hopefully there's no copyright infringement. Praise you, CMS, uh, to God's glory and the work that you do. Um, So here here Paul is saying, verse 8, keep your Bibles open with me. Uh, Paul says this, this grace that he's just referred to that's kind of, that's totally redefined who he is, an acknowledgement that the, the power and the gift has come from God, not from himself, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints... You know, we think of Paul as, the, as one of the greatest missionaries that ever was, and in many ways, that is true, but Paul, in all humility, acknowledges that he came from a background that persecuted Christ, and so in all humility, he seeks to just live for Him. This grace was given to me to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Now, when I say that word, incalculable... I go back to some of those big numbers that I put before you last week when I sort of zoomed out from Tungabi all the way to the hundreds of billions of galaxies uh, in our universe. And each one of those galaxies is made up of, you know, matter and molecules. And the world is as big and complex as it is all the way down to the quantum level. And we can try and calculate some of those things in the known universe. But that is, it scales into in comparison compared to the incalculable riches of Christ, of, of, of being united with Him and receiving all that is His for forgiveness of sins. And, and while we kind of, you know, sometimes make that seem like just a you know, straightforward thing, don't forget that you have, you have crossed that uncrossable chasm between your death and suffering under wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God, and you have been moved to the kingdom of the Son, And that is not something you just sort of progress towards as though you would climb the corporate ladder. You have been moved across that because of the incalculable riches of Christ. We have received new life by the power of the Spirit. God has invested in you. The infinite, holy, righteous God has actually invested Himself in you. He has given you His transforming power. He has given us reconciliation and perseverance. We could go on. These are the incalculable riches of Christ. And Paul writes in Colossians, the, whole, the gospel is bearing fruit and, and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been uh, doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. 
So as Paul labors to proclaim the gospel, it is bearing fruit as people hear about it and are saved and the church is growing even then. And it has continued to grow across the whole world and we are part of that. What's been happening as Paul and as we proclaim Christ? He goes on, to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. That's a kind of very Paul way of saying that for a long time, in fact, kind of, you know, for for all of this of the Old Testament, there was a mystery, a hiddenness to God. He had revealed himself in part to his people and yet he was, he was, you were not able to approach him. He was holy and completely separate. But when Jesus came, he revealed the fullness of God's glory and that was something that even the angels longed to see. That hiddenness to God has now been fully revealed, that all of creation, all of history is all centred on Christ and Paul knows this and is revealing that to all he can speak to. God has been gathering a new people to himself, as Paul has been speaking on just in in the previous part of this chapter, Jews and Gentiles now united in a new humanity. This is a mystery. How could this be? Those people don't connect with one another and yet God has revealed His glory. He is unraveling His plans for all eternity in bringing people to Himself in His power to save. And this is so... Check this out. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heaven. Now, that is insane. When I think of myself, or perhaps even church at times, not this church perhaps, I think God would say, would sort of see me as a little bit of a botched science project. You know, God started something, He was doing some stuff, it kind of didn't work out maybe that well. And you, could, you might say to the angels, you could see what I was trying to do, you know. <laughs> but that's not at all what this is saying. God, God is saying that, that He has done a work in us to reveal His multifaceted wisdom that would proclaim His wisdom to even the authorities of heaven so that God can say, see, see my wisdom. Look at the villages in the Philippines where compassion are working through churches. God is saying, I'm revealing my wisdom and glory to the heavens there. See the churches in Seychelles where Ryan and Lynn are working. God is saying to the angels and all in heaven, look, my wisdom and glory. In Coimbra, in Portugal, where people are gathered in Jesus' name on university campuses through the week, as Sam and M. Loa Ferreira work there, God is saying to the authorities in heaven, look, see my wisdom and glory. In Japan, where small pockets of seemingly obscure gatherings that look so weak, as Jeff was telling us about in his last visit to Japan, God is saying to the authorities in heaven, look at my wisdom and glory. And here in Tungabi, God is proclaiming His wisdom and glory to the heavens. Do we see that? Well, it's pretty easy to not see it sometimes, but will we see what God is seeing? The only reason we gather as a church is because God saves. The only reason you have faith is because God saves. Yes, you might have grown up in a a Christian family, but someone shared the gospel with them. 
and or before them. The only reason we are gathering is not because we have sort of some common interest in historical Jesus. No, we have been made alive in Christ because God saves. So let us rejoice in what we're part of. But it's not for us to hoard. For as much as God is revealing His wisdom and glory to the heavens, we are also to long for a whole world that knows Jesus. But this kind of glory, this kind of growth that we're talking about, often looks weak, is incredibly hard, is shaped in the pattern of the cross and will involve suffering. Sound fun? And that's why Paul says, uh, in Him we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him, so that even when you think things are going well, even when you are struggling, that does not mean you are separated from Christ, but rather you have boldness to access God through faith. He then says, so then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. Paul is writing this in prison, which would have been pretty good reason to say, well, that's not good growth, that's not good glory, that's a bit of a roadblock. And yet Paul is able to say, don't be discouraged of these things because the power of Christ is not chained. We saw last week the example of William Carey, who for seven years had laboured in extreme circumstances and saw no fruit whatsoever. Seven years in a foreign country. And then even when he saw some fruit and some people come to Christ and sort of the mission work grow, even then the, the kind of the, the printing room caught on fire and he lost everything. And yet God even chose that to work through to bring him greater glory, to grow the work of, uh, of, of, uh, of the mission work there so that many would come under the sound of the gospel in India. Brothers and sisters, we must see what God is seeing. We will see hindrances and roadblocks to growth in all kinds of ways. And yet Paul is saying, do not be discouraged. Because for every hardship, for every suffering, we are bound closer to Christ who suffered for us. And God was able to work His power to raise Him even from death. And so He says, these are your glory. These are your glory as you're bound up in God's glory. So when we say we want to be an ever-growing church, you better watch out <laughs> because it might not be the kind of growth that you're looking for, the kind of comfortable, career-driven, you know, outcomes-driven growth. It might be that God is growing us through suffering and hardship, but nonetheless we long that God would grow His kingdom through us so that many would come under the sound of the gospel Indeed, as the gospel would continue to grow across the world. Now, when we ask the question of what might we expect that to look like at TAC, there's a key question I want to ask of each of these two things, the you know, two parts that I'm looking at, you know, the, the, the kind of world that knows Jesus and, and seeking to know Jesus more in the power of His glory. The question is this, how do we expect that to happen? How, how do we expect that to happen? Do you, you just come to church and sort of by osmosis pick up some stuff and go back and do your things? How do we expect church to grow, the kingdom to grow here at TAC? Now, at one level, oh, there's the passage I was looking at, very good. At one level, we could put up a boring graph. 
Um, it won't, it's, it's, not, it's not a boring graph altogether. This is a graph of, of um, just mapping out something simple like uh, attendance of church over the last six years. Uh, it, it, it's, it's encouraging. It, it shows that our church is growing uh, even by 33%. You can see there's a couple of gaps. I'm not sure what that's about. No, no, we do know what that's about. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, th- there, is, there is an encouragement here to, to see that God is drawing people to Himself and we are part of a church that is growing. Uh, each month I report, uh, particularly to parish council, but also to staff, about uh, the kind of growth we're seeing at church and not just kind of looking at attendance, but for the last number of months, every month, we've seen six new people actually call this place home. So not just people walking through the doors of our church, but actually deciding that they want to call TAC home month on month, another six. That's very encouraging. Some of you here in this building are, are counted in that number. But what, what are we doing when we look at a graph like this? Because it's pretty easy to slip back into the kind of growth that I started talking about, to slip into the prideful nature of patting ourselves on the back, saying, we've done growth, pat ourselves on the back, tick. But just to keep ourselves humble, let us be reminded of a couple of things. For starters, I don't think we're growing because we're, we're crushing mission, if I could put it like that. Now, we've seen six people, uh, mostly youth actually, profess faith in the last year. And I love that. We should praise God for that six. But as we pray that hundreds of people would come to know Jesus in this community, not just through our church, but through churches here, there is a sense that we are longing for many more people to come to know Jesus. Uh, and, and most of the kind of the, the growth here... It is because people are uh, moving into the area, have Googled us, have heard about TAC through people, not even necessarily have been invited, you know, by by someone here. And and so, yay, God is gathering. It's a reminder that it's God's work as He gathers people to Himself. But let us not take this and slip back into a corporate growth mindset, as though we could strategize the numbers and pride ourselves on our glory. But let us, in all humility, long for particularly kingdom growth, that God would work in us and through us to see people saved. How do we expect that to happen here, is the question I'm asking. How do we expect God to use us to see people saved and the kingdom grow? Well, first, it has to be prayer to start with. Prayer is... is ourselves in all humility coming before God, pleading that He would do a work of mercy in those around us, recognizing that for someone to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of sun is a spiritual work. We can't make them undead. They can't make themselves undead in their sin. It is an act of mercy from God and let us plead to Him. I want to keep bringing this to your attention, these little bookmarks, which are part of the poster up there, as we long to see, to, to connect with people in our community. It starts with actually, you know, loving our neighbor, surprise, surprise, for, for caring for them and then communicating Jesus, for how else will they know the gospel unless someone tells them, and longing to see them commit to Christ. And in this, we're praying for four people. Uh, this, this is, a, it's just a bookmark, but it, it's a marker of a rhythm, of a posture, as we pray for people to come to know Jesus in this community. But the second one is proclamation. 
Again, as I've just said, how will they know? I'm quoting Romans 10 here. How will they know unless someone tells them? Paul himself here sees that the grace given to him was to proclaim to the Gentiles. Now, he had a very particular role. He was an apostle. uh, He was an evangelist, uh, a missionary in that sense. Not all of us are capital E evangelists. I think I want to relieve the burden in some ways uh, lest you think you sort of have to go out and stand on a street corner and proclaim Christ, perhaps like Paul did. And yet, we all have, do we not, a, a desire, we ought to have a desire for people to come to know Jesus and be ready to take hold of any opportunity that comes before us, even cultivate opportunities that we might share with them the love of Christ that we have experienced. Now, as I look into next year, there's a few things that I would love to do to keep growing this, and you can read more about that, these things uh, in your vision booklet. Um, and I'll sort of mix up the order a little bit here. Uh, as we kind of, you know, we've been doing Christianity Explored here. Um, Christianity Explored? Explored, yeah, because there's a Christianity Explained as well. Uh, we've been doing that for a couple of years, uh, and it's good. The content is good. Uh, but we're, we're finding that sometimes it's not that accessible. It's kind of, it's a, it's a recorded sermon or dramatised sermon in many ways from a UK bloke from many years ago. And so I think this needs a refresh. It needs an investment of time. Uh, I'm, I'm continuing to oversee the mission portfolio. Uh, it, it needs to be worked through. So it's something that we have confidence in and that we would say, I want my friend to come and hear that. Uh, so I want us to be soaked in this, uh, and uh, I'm going to preach through it next year as a mission series that we might, uh, whatever we land on, uh, have confidence in it, uh, even be part of shaping it, so that as a church we own this and actually have it as the centre of kind of uh, an expectation of, you know, this is how people will come to know Jesus, or a, pr- a primary way that people come to know Jesus, through hearing about the Gospel in this way. Uh, I've been working with Clive Bulchins, you know, a partner particularly in reaching uh, Hindus in our area. Uh, He has organised a Moore College mission next year for our church and for Wentworthville Anglican in a combined partnership. I love that. Uh, That's only just hot off the press, it's only kind of a couple of weeks old, that news. Uh, But this will be another great way as we invest in particular moments in time to, to, to express our longing for people to come to know Jesus, particularly people uh, from India and Sri Lanka who live in our, uh, in our community. Uh, you'll know that uh, we've been talking about the Mark drama for a little while, as uh, you know, one of the expressions of uh, Clive longing to see people come to know Jesus, to hear the gospel. Uh, he's just, he's just uh, come to a realisation this week that there's not enough people to make that work, and so he's, he's pulled the plug on that for this year. Uh, and at one level, I want to encourage him, and I will continue to encourage him. You know, he has done a lot of things this year, starting new things. It's a brand new role. And as we, as we you know, remember, we'll go back to what uh, William Carey lived by. We expect great things from God, because that's who God is, and we attempt great things for Him. And as we attempt great things for Him, some of those things will fall by the way, so we'll fall flat. And we, we stop and pause and we listen to what God is leading us to. And so, it's okay if some of our endeavours don't work out. It's part of having a crack in faith. Uh, This year we've started an evangelism group, not just um, sort of ad hoc door knocking here and there, but actually starting with a a group of people who are invested in in a longing to to be able to sit down with someone and read the Bible with them. That's kind of almost the gateway. If you want to join this evangelism group, you've got to say, I want to sit down and read the Bible with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. That's a big 
kind of, you know, it's a high bar in some ways, and yet I want it to be an aspirational goal. So already there are 12 people who are meeting uh, each term for training uh, and then to have a go at door knocking uh, and we're sharing stories and some of the stories that are happening in that group are richly encouraging. Uh, People who are just taking everyday moments to share Jesus and people positively engaging with the gospel. Now these are just some of the ways that I want us to keep growing in this. We've built a great foundation now longing for, uh, for mission but I want us to, to constantly be zealous to see this church with quite a number. I don't know what that number is, but, but, but quite a number of people who have recently been saved. And as we look around, let us keep longing. But I've overlooked a substantial part of where our growth is already happening. And it's one of the most formational parts of life. Going back to our graph, if I break that down to include kids and youth. You know, we see our overall kind of attendance has been growing by 33% over the last six years. But what we might not see at that scale is this. This is two new kids' attendance. That's nearly 100% growth uh, in six years. Now, some of the data sort of pre-2019 might be a bit wobbly, doesn't include toddlers, for example. And just last week, we saw 15 toddlers in our toddlers program at 845 to the point where our leaders left that just exhausted. That's not a good thing, by the way. This is exciting, and I'm thankful to God for the work of Rach and the ministry, the kids' ministry team, uh, who do a great work uh, and a a persevering work at times uh, in seeing kids grow in knowledge of Christ. And these kids are asking cracking questions, like real, honest questions about Jesus, and it's a beautiful place for these kids to grow and know Jesus more. Uh, We've seen people, uh, you know, families who don't know Jesus, uh, come to church because their kids have sort of interacted with SRE or, or kind of Toonie Kids Week or, or kind of come along to some of the kids' programs here. This is a huge uh, area where God is doing a great work among us and I want us to be thankful for that. Uh, what I do want to say is that kind of growth comes with a cost. Uh, I think we are approaching a point where to maintain our safe ministry ratios, we're going to actually have to start closing the door soon. Now, nobody wants that. that. That is, that kids will have to be bounced back into the church building simply because there's not enough adults uh, overseeing the programs to keep up with that kind of growth. Now, I want to put that before you as we seek to, to live sacrificial, worshipful lives in response to God's glory. Uh, Tom's mention of there are significant needs of serving in this church, this would be one of them. Uh, now, there's quite a, quite a kind of process to being in the kids' ministry team. There's five modules of safe ministry. Um, there, there's like a, an interview of sorts. We take this stuff really seriously. Uh, the Royal Commission certainly took it seriously. Uh, we want to be above reproach here, uh, but let us also bring this need before God in prayer and in our conversations as a church as we long to be an ever-growing church. Do we mean that? Now, between uh, seeking more people to come to know Jesus in seeking our kids and youth ministry continue to grow, are you feeling convicted yet? Uh, this stuff can easily feel like a stick, and I don't want it to be like that at all. I come back to uh, a quote that I'm actually just going to butcher a little bit from C.S. Lewis, where he writes this in his essay on the weight of glory. He says this, May the burden of my neighbor's glory, that is, as I long to see my neighbor glorify God... 
May the burden of my neighbor's glory be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that I can only carry it because of Christ in me. This is an act of God and His grace and His work in us and through us. Let us not lose sight of that. Let us pray. Let us yearn. Let us celebrate the grace of Christ. And uh, for this reason, all these things, uh, Paul writes in verse 14, this is a shorter, uh, this is not really a half, it's more of a a quarter. Um, This is why Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Every time we long for something, uh, a kind of holy discontentment that we bring before God, it brings us to our knees in prayer and Paul prays this incredible prayer. Uh, Read it with me here again. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. That is, all things belong to and are named before God. I pray that He may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. There are two areas of focus in this prayer, that God would strengthen us with with power through His Spirit working in our inner being. But when we come to church, we're not coming to sort of just some kind of creedal faith where we just chant some stuff together and we go about our whatever. We, we are coming to acknowledge that there is real power in the gospel, that there is real power in God's Spirit at work in us, and I know we don't experience that all the time. And I know that there is a real temptation, as we looked at Romans 12 last week, as as Paul urges us not to be conformed into the pattern of this world. There's a real temptation to sort of seek power in the patterns of this world. And yet, when we pray, we are joining our circumstances, our experiences to the character and the promises of God. And God promises you that His power is at work in you. We pray that God would strengthen us with power through His Spirit, according to and resourced by the riches of Christ's glory. And secondly, Paul is praying that we might have power to grasp the limitlessness and the limitless, sorry, the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ. You cannot exhaust the love of Christ. I've experienced this many times where I've sought to forgive someone and found it, oh my goodness, (laughs) I do not have the resources to forgive that person, only to be reminded that God has forgiven me, that God has shown me grace. Perhaps you've been reminded when you feel like such a wretch is me, as that line of amazing grace goes, you only find again the limitless dimensions of the love of Christ that would save a wretch like me. Now, this prayer describes the intimacy and power that we have with Jesus and is, and is kind of at the center of what we call discipleship, of growing in Jesus. And this is the second part of growth that I want us to see here. How do we expect this to happen in this place, in our lives? It is one thing to read a prayer here. How do we expect to grow 
closer to Jesus, knowing Him more, and the power of His glory. Now, the first one here, obviously, it's prayer. Now, there are some people here who find prayer really easy. I liked how Tom reflected on how serving comes easier and giving is harder. For some of us, prayer comes easy. For some of us, it's real hard. It's real hard to get on our knees in humility and in discipline to pray. We need to be taught how to pray. That's kind of what Paul's doing here. He is teaching us to pray. He is giving us words. He is reminding us of the promises and the power of God. When we meet in our growth groups, we are sharpening each other and teaching each other how to pray. We are taking our circumstances and our experiences and we're, and we're joining them to God's character and His power and His promises in the intimacy of prayer. I love that growth groups, and the key word being there, growth, <laughs> is a central part of how we do life together here. It's also a central part of kind of how adults learn. Now, I fully acknowledge that in standing here with a monologue, you're only going to take portions of it in. We adults learn better in practice, in the realities of life, when we're seeking wisdom in real circumstances, and growth groups is where that happens. As we seek the, to be strengthened in our inner being, because our inner being is weary, and we've confessed that to someone else that we trust and we long for that prayer to be true and manifest in our lives, and we have the privilege of, of people praying for us in that regard, it, it takes, it takes it, there's a real sort of privilege in being able to share the ways that we are being tempted to be conformed to the pattern of this world, and ask for prayer that we'd be reminded of what it means to, to live the glorious life, to know Jesus more, and the power of His glory. Now, as has already been mentioned, we have 70% of people who call TAC home already in growth groups meeting weekly. I know all of us can meet every week, but you know, there, is, there, is a, there is a rhythm to this that is greatly encouraging. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm deeply thankful for the many, the, the many uh, leaders of the 24 growth groups that meet across the week. Uh, now, these are where kind of real life is experienced. These groups experience ups and downs, discouragements and encouragements, but at the centre of it is, is a reliance on the promises of God that He would do a work in us. Now, if you're not in a growth group, you, you might be busy, you, you, like your, your schedule might be just chaotic and it might feel just too hard to join. You might have also just not seen the value in it, or you also kind of might have chosen, maybe not explicitly, not to grow, not to be sort of in a pastoral network. When something goes wrong in your life or where you're struggling, if you don't have people around you, yes, you'll call a minister and I'm very happy to help, but there is a privilege to be a part of brothers and sisters meeting together around God's Word, walking together in all of life. Now, if this was 100%, if we had 100% of our church meeting in growth groups every week, uh, that would be a wonderful thing. It would also kind of break us a little bit. Um, that is, that we don't have the leaders to, to sort of to work that. But I'm committed to see this number keep growing, not only as a percentage, but also as our church grows. Um, this is why I've asked Nat to oversee this portfolio, um, because it's going to break, we're going to break it and she's going to fix it. No, um, she, she has a deep passion and a gift to join the gospel with life. 
and this is an area that needs uh, continued support and growth. We also need to be exploring different ways we can do these things. I've had already a couple of people ask if they could meet in groups where, where, you know, which include young children. Now, those groups are messier, you get less done, but sometimes when you're in that life stage, it is just a battle to even get to, to sort of growth group, and when you're there, you're mind-fried anyway, right? So there's seasons of life where we need to explore flexibilities uh, to, to kind of keep this as our rhythm. Uh, you know, if, if growth group is not something you can make at all, let's kind of find other rhythms, like discipleship groups, where at least there's smaller groups, maybe not meeting as regularly, but praying over each other, invested in each other's lives. Why do we want to do these things? Because we are invested in being an ever-growing church, not for our sake, but for the sake of God's glory, because we are longing for a world to know Jesus. We are longing to know Jesus more and the power of His glory. So let us put aside worldly versions of glory and growth and come back to the simplicity of being a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to us through the working of God's power. Let me finish with the doxology at the end of this chapter. Now to you, O God who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to your power that works in us. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.